and welcome to the Locked on Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. This podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market today. It's a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Head to BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On for $10 off your first order. Uh, once again, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Hit up the show on Twitter as well at Locked on Leafs. And if you like what you hear today, be sure to subscribe to us on all podcasting streaming platforms. Leave a comment, give us a rating, all that good stuff. And today we have a special show because we have a fantastic guest on the show today. Former Toronto Maple Leaf, former Toronto Marley. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Frankie Corrado to the show. Frank, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, love uh, love getting you on the show. Um, it, it, it's funny because you were just on Overdrive the other day, and they love getting you on. So I was like, you know what, let's see if Frank wants to come on to my show because you have a very unique perspective being a former Leaf, a former Marley, a kid who grew up in the GTA in Toronto and then finally got to outlive, uh, play out his dream and play for the Maple Leafs. It may have been a roller coaster, some ups and downs, but I think it's a great perspective, and we'll get into all that and we'll discuss it. But actually, uh, it looks like you have some some news to share over the last couple of days. Um, it seems like there's a rumor that you're on your way to Moto next season. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, I think that just looking at my career now, um, it might be the time to to pursue Europe and and see what what the opportunities are over there. And um, Moto was a team that was interested and. Um, you know, it seems like a, a good opportunity and a, a very well-run franchise, actually a pretty recognizable franchise. You know, when you, when you say Moto, a lot of people seem to know, uh, you know, who, who it is and, and who's come out of there. And, um, you know, I think I'm just at the point now where, um, you know, I'm almost in between, you know, AHL, NHL. I've had the injuries the last few years that have kind of set me back and, you know, I'm finally feeling healthy again. And, um, you know, it's put me in a spot where, you know, maybe I can pursue Europe and, and see what's available over there. And, and even more than that, just gives me an opportunity to be counted on and, uh, and be a go-to guy, uh, on, on a team. And that's something I haven't really had for, for a while. So, uh, it's something I'm pretty excited about. Uh, well, how do you think your game's going to translate over on the big, on the bigger ice surface? Like, have you spent some time playing on bigger ice surfaces like that, or is that going to be an adjustment for you? I, it, it'll likely be a, a bit of an adjustment as it is for, for everyone, but I think it does play into, you know, some of my strengths. I, I think I'm a good, good skater and uh, a mobile guy. And, um, you know, with the, with the extra ice and I think there's a little more opportunity to hang on to the puck a little more and uh, make some plays and open. It's, it's probably a little easier physically on, on the body, you know, with, with, um, with the more space out there, maybe there's a little less contact with guys and, um but i'm i'm excited for it i think it's it's a new challenge and um i'm excited to see how my game translates um on the bigger ice so as you mentioned a lot of players had come out of moto you know not too sure if you're familiar with a certain set of twins who played and grew up there the sedines uh who you had the chance to play with did you contact them and ask them about the city and the organization before you decided to sign there I did. Yeah. I, um, so I called Henrik and, and asked him a little bit about the city and the organization. And, um, you know, like, like the other people who I've, I've spoken to, um, all good things to say. Um, 
So it, it makes me feel comfortable knowing that, um, you know, someone like, like Hank and, and Danny, um, you know, they, they give it good reviews and, and, and recommend it as a place to play. And, you know, from, from what I understand, it's, um, it's a hockey town and the fans are, the fans are super passionate. And um, I think that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I think I heard like it's a city of about 30,000 people and about 25 of them end up down at the rink or something like it's 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 apparently a really, really it's a small city. But boy, do they love their hockey. And, and you know, I, you know, full disclosure, I grew up a Canucks fan and the Canucks have a very, very heavy presence in Sweden, especially, you know, since my upbringing with with Naslin and then the Sedins. And they both grew up in in that small little city. Uh, or Orn Vic, have you learned how to say and pronounce that word yet? That name of the city that you'll be in? No, not not perfectly, but I'm going to go with the short the short form, which is uh, Uvik. So that's going to be my my go to for now. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'll go with yeah. Uvik from now on. Um, so I, I got to ask you though, since you did play with the Sedins and you know with them, uh, their retirement this year of, of uh, retiring their jerseys, it was great. It was fantastic. Able to celebrate the career with a lot of the the guys from that era, um, you know what what was it like being on the ice with them? Like, have you ever played with any two teammates who had chemistry like that, or even remotely close to those two? Like for me, it was magical watching them out on the ice. I'm sure from being uh, on the bench or even on the ice with them, it, it must have been pretty special to watch too. Yeah, yeah, it was really special in practice when you would have to take the two-on-one with Hank and Danny and he just sauced one right over your stick, right on the tape, and it would go in the back of the net in about 0.25 seconds. So that was really special. <laughs> now you, you, had, you had Vigneault and Torch just ripping you a new one over that, and you're like, it's, it's the Sedins. What, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, no, you almost look around and you're like, what do I do? Like, there's nothing I can do about it. They're just going to they're going to make the pass if they want to make it. So <laughs> there's nothing you can do. But I just remember coming into camp my first year and uh, trying to defend these guys. And I was like 18 years old. And um, AZ kind of had like a, a smile on his face watching me defend. And I think the only the only piece of advice he, he said to me was just, just keep your stick. Try and keep your stick on his stick. That's about all you can do. And then if you get him into the boards, you can try and you know hit hold him on the boards. But there, there's not much you could do like defending those guys. You really, um, you're really at their mercy a lot of times. And uh, it was really cool watching them. You know, growing up watching them and just watching them progress throughout their careers. They were uh, amazing talents. And I think even you know right until their last game, they showed all the magic that they had. And, um it was really cool to be around them even for for a short period of time just to see how they conduct themselves and how they act and um you know how they are on the ice too so um it was really cool very very special people to play with and i'm very grateful i got i got the chance to cross paths with them uh in conversation with frank corrado um how you been staying busy during all this covid you know during the work stoppage like was it weird for you like you were playing in the ahl with with uh with the sends organization you know and not sure if the season was going to continue or not like what was that kind of purgatory like what was your mindset when the work stoppage happened yeah i mean unfortunately when the ahl season ended uh most of us had a feeling that 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 was going to be it just because of the the hurdles that that league faces are different than the nhl it's a very gate-driven league right uh, there's no tv deals and there's not these big sponsorship deals going around so um, we kind of, you know, we kind of had a feeling that it was going to be pretty insurmountable for the HL to get up and running again this year. And, 
Um, so for me, I just took it as, you know, this is my off season is starting now. And, um, you know, took a couple of weeks off at the start and then eased back into training. And, uh, for me, it's, it's kind of like making up on lost time because every, you know, the last three years I've had some kind of major setback injury wise that puts me behind the eight ball compared to everyone else. And, um, this was the first time that I was able to kind of enter, um, this time of the year, uh, this calendar year, like, like feeling healthy. And mm -hmm. so I'm just kind of taking the time to make up for lost ground. Uh, and get my training in and, and, and get my body, um, you know, to a stronger point than it has been in the past. A lot of times I'm working just to get back to zero. And I think now I have some time to, to maybe move the needle a little bit physically. So, um, you know, with, with obviously it's, uh, it's a shame because we'd like to still be, be playing, but, I'm, uh, you know, I think I'm just trying to find the positive in it. And for me, the positive is to, you know, to train and get my body stronger and, and something I haven't been able to do for the last little while. Yeah, that's something that I find is is an underlying storyline. You have, you know, a few guys around the league who traditionally, I guess, they kind of they deal with their injuries on a year to year basis. Like you mentioned yourself, the last past couple of years, you've dealt with some injury woes. You know, there's a bunch of guys around the NHL who who deal with that on a year to year basis. And it seemed like there's a few who finally were having a healthy season. Your former teammate, Chris Tanev, being one of them, who for the first time and it seems like ever was actually played every single game this season and then all of a sudden it's not an injury that derails the season for them it's this pandemic and it's just it's it's unfortunate that they finally feel good you finally feel good you finally feel healthy and then the season's kind of cut short in a whim because of all this yeah it's a shame it's a shame and um you know especially for the guys that you know you, you kind of maybe this was your your year for your ufa and um, you know, you were kind of looking at, uh, looking at that as like, you know, this is, this is a chance to, to advance my career. And, um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of careers kind of will get stalled maybe because of this, but then on the flip side, maybe there's people now that are going to get an extra year, um, on the back end of their career. You know, maybe this adds some longevity for, for someone who's been struggling injury wise. And so, um, you know, there's really two kind of schools of thought behind it. And, um, so I, I, for, for the sake of the game and all the athletes that are out there, I hope really it adds some longevity to guys' career rather than stalls them, because I think we just have so many great players, um, and so much talent right now in the game that, uh, it'd be nice to, to, to keep seeing guys progress. And, and, you know, the longer we can keep these, these superstars in the game, the better it is for all of us. All right, we'll get back to this conversation in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you guys about the best-tasting protein bar ever, and that's the Built Bar. They are tasty. They are healthy. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors. They have eight chocolate and nut flavors covered in 100% chocolate, but also eight chocolate nut-free flavors, which means there's a bar for everyone. They're soft, and they're easy to chew, and best yet, they are tasty and healthy. It's a great bar for a health-conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a nice delicious treat the bars are low calorie low sugar but high protein and high fiber one of my favorite kinds i swear to you i've had this one and i just keep buying it and eating it it's the peanut butter brownie tastes just like a cookie it's got 20 grams of protein 170 calories three grams of sugar and just three grams of net carbs and it's loaded loaded 
with protein, with that 20 gram protein. It's fantastic. It's great. I keep buying them. My family keeps eating them on me. So I have to keep buying and buying them again. And it's absolutely fantastic. And if you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, you can get $10 off your first order. You can use the promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Somebody just said there actually kind of piqued my mind and my interest a little bit talking about the UFA coming up and, and how it could be tricky going forward. You know, nobody really knows how the economy is going to go. Nobody knows what the salary cap is going to be. Did that factor at all into your decision to, uh, to ink a contract over in Sweden as opposed to try and chance it here in North America? Yeah, I'll be completely honest with you. Like, you know, I'm obviously have vet status in the AHL right now. So that limits my, my chances of a roster spot. You know, you can only play five bets per night. Um, and then just the uncertainty of not knowing, um, you know, which direction things are going to go. And, and obviously there's no, you know, this is different than a lockout year where the AHL would just run normally. Um, you know, once they finish up the rest of the 1920 season, have a little off season, the AHL can't get up and running until the NHL goes. So if that's late December, or if that's early January, then the AHL is going to follow shortly after. Um, and that's, I think right now, looking at it from what I hear is that's if everything goes good and according to plan and there's no more hiccups and bumps in the road. So, um, you know, and, and Sweden's a country that hasn't really locked down the way we have, um, you know, they're, you know, there's, there's, they're still operating almost at a normal capacity. And that was pretty attractive for me to, to, you know, to have that offer from a country like that. And there's even other countries like, you know, Germany and Finland that aren't really talking business right now because um, they're saying it might be into December when they start and they're not sure about fans. And so there's, it's not just in the NHL and AHL, there's uncertainty. There's uncertainty also all over the globe. And, um, you know, the the offer that I got from Moto was just, um, it provided me with some stability um, and obviously in a, in a well-known, well-run organization um, and an opportunity, obviously, like I, like I touched on before, an opportunity to, to be counted on and, and to play. And, and um, this team in Moto obviously got, um, you know, relegated a few years back. And um, I know the fans in the organization are, are hungry to get back into the SHL, you know, which is likely where they belong. And, and so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of motivation, a lot of incentive to, to bring that organization back to, uh, to the SHL. Yeah, and that's going to be uh, – actually, that would be really fun to be on a team that helps you relegate up a level. Uh, I think that would be a really cool accomplishment. And uh, just to, to – and they would kind of – I feel like you would have a, a very lasting relationship with the city, with the players, with the fans, knowing that you did something to help bring that organization literally to the next tier. So I think that that's also kind of interesting uh, little wrinkle that you get – that you only get playing in Europe as opposed to here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm excited for, too, is, you know, I've played in front of so many great fan bases. And, you know, I've, I've been very lucky to have, you know, some unbelievable support, uh, whether it's been with, uh, you know, Utica, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Belleville, all, you know, Pittsburgh, Wilkes-Barre, all these places. But, you know, one thing that's different is, you know, in Europe, you see the, the, the crowd, they're chanting behind the net, and they're singing all game. And um, that's something I've never experienced before either. So, um, that's something that I think will be pretty cool to, to experience and, and play in front of that home crowd. And from what I understand, Moto is similar to, to the Leafs uh, fan base in, in many respects is that 
there's going to be a lot of moto fans at away games um they have a big presence throughout the country and um so that's going to be pretty cool to see as well in visiting buildings yeah no it sounds like a, a lot of fun i mean i'm excited for you to go over there and and get going um in conversation with frank corrado uh you're not only an athlete and a hockey player but you're also a hockey fan and as a fan, are you in favor of the 2014 proposal that the NHL has come to agreement with? And do you think that would that would differ if you would have had a vote as a player? Yeah, I'm not sure because I think I think you have to uh, realize the possibility that there may have teams that pushed for a playoff spot towards the end of the season, and there may have teams there may have been teams that maybe went on an eight nine game slide. We just don't know. Um, and so to, to just cut it at 68 or just, you know, have the standings, uh, the way they finished is, um, I don't want to say it's not fair, but, um, this at least provides fans with a, a unique perspective of almost like a play in kind of tournament style, uh, game that we've never gotten to seen because we've never been in these kind of circumstances. And for the teams, it provides teams that, you know, there's no excuses. If you think you had a shot at making the playoffs, well, here's your shot now. You know, you there's there's it, it kind of takes away the excuses for me. Um, and you know, I see there's there's some teams that are saying, well, you know, we went we didn't like our matchup against this team this year and uh, stuff along that those lines. And it's not a perfect system, and it's it's never it's never a perfect system, even when when everything's going according to plan. But um, I think it provides. Uh, all the teams that maybe had a shot, I think, you know, this is your chance now. Um, and you want to get out of the gate, you know, very fast. Um, for me, it, it's going to, it's going to feel like as a fan watching um, and as a player too, you know, when, when you play these two week tournaments, you know, you see like, not that I ever played them, but you know, you see like the world juniors and you see the, um, the Olympic games and the world cup of hockey, things like that. It's the teams that can come together in that quick, that short period of time and really get out of the gate quick. And those teams are the ones that usually have, have the success. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because guys have been off. It's almost like a new season. I, I almost don't even see it as uh 1920. It's like, it's like 1920, but part two. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I like it. I don't know what else you could have done. Um, but I think given the scenarios that were available, I think it's the right decision. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm pretty much in the same view as you where, you know, is this the, the perfect situation? No, probably not. But this is really the best situation and the best proposal that they could have come with to, to kind of be fair to everyone involved. It may not be fair to everyone, but it's fair to more to, to enough teams where this is kind of the way you got to go. Um, let's talk a little bit about your time in Toronto. Uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster, I'm sure. Uh, you kind of fell out of favor in Vancouver, was put on waivers, only to be saved by your home team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at that point, what was going through your head? How excited were you to become a Leaf? Yeah, I was ecstatic. I couldn't believe Toronto um, Toronto was the team. Um, and, like, we had no idea. Right in, like, right up until 12.05, we had no idea. Um, I just found out through Twitter, basically. And then shortly after, I got a call from from uh, Lou Lamorello, but um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, you're, I was feeling pretty down um, about how that training camp went for me in Vancouver. And, um, you know, I, I never wanted to leave Vancouver. I, I thought I, I saw myself staying there longer than, 
than that. And, um, but that's the business, like people, you know, people are, are moving up always. And, um, that was a pretty solid back end in Vancouver. It was, um, it was always tough to crack, even when, when I was getting called up as a 20 and 21 year old. And, um, it was, it was such a great feeling to get picked up by Toronto. I couldn't believe it. Like I was, I was driving to the rink in October going to practice and I couldn't believe where I was going, you know, like it was, <laughs> it didn't quite sink in for, for the longest time. I am like, I can't believe I'm driving to the MasterCard center right now, like for practice. And then after practice, I'm going to go, I'll go grab dinner at home and with the family. Like it was, it was crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. Like it took a, a while to sink in that, that I was actually doing this. That's awesome. And you ended up suiting up for 41 games uh, with the team. C- do you recount the moment you first stepped out onto the ice on the ACC for the first game wearing that Maple Leafs crest? Like, was your family there? Uh, did you, did you kind of, do you forget the moment? Some people, some people forget the moment just because it, it was so surreal. Like, can you kind of relive that moment for me? Yeah, I just, I had a lot of, I had a lot of friends and family going, well, mostly friends going to the games before that, because I didn't play that game until mid-December, and so I'd have a lot of people going, hey, you playing tonight, or hey, I want to meet you after the game, yeah, no problem, like, you can look at me up in section 6-0, whatever, you know, I'll I'll be up there, Um, or I would say, sometimes I would take warm-up and be like, okay, we'll get, if you want to see me on the ice, like, get there for warm-up, because that's the only time you're going to see me. Right. But, <laughs> but man, I had some good warm ups. but the only thing is you have to, you, like you had to wear the bucket. Uh, you had to wear your helmet, which, um, right. you know, if, if I had some, some buddies coming, maybe I would take the helmet off, but, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the first game was, was, was pretty cool. I had so many people there and, um, the funny thing, like, uh, I have a, an old jersey at home, and um, it's a Corrado jersey I got made when I was a kid, but it had number 93 because of the year I was born, right? Like, I probably got it made when I was – I couldn't even tell you, but I was young, and I saw my this sister on Twitter. wore the jersey to the game. What's that? Yeah, I saw this on Twitter. There was some sort of controversy, <laughs> and you had to kind of lay it up like, hey, listen – it's not a Gilmore yeah. jersey. It's... Yeah, everyone was giving me flack because my sister was wearing a Gilmore jersey, but it wasn't a Gilmore jersey. It was a... <laughs> so, anyways, so that that got some uh, some attention on Twitter, but uh, it was really fun just coming onto the ice and um, you know some friends and family, and I saw there was a sign like "Welcome Home, Frankie," stuff like that. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, it's tough to describe that feeling, but. It just, um, it feels like all the hard work that you put in throughout your, you know, your whole life and your whole career kind of, you know, comes to that point. And, and it's, um, it's a rewarding feeling for sure. Just, um, just to even step on that ice one time was, was, was a great feeling. Yeah. And it seems like at the end of the day, you feel, you know, grateful and lucky to have been a Toronto Maple Leaf and a chance to play, but you know, a lot of people would, would look at your career and say it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, you know, very promising young prospect up and coming. And when you ended up with Toronto, you know, you were kind of the player that fans at least thought they needed, you know, a young up and coming uh, defenseman. And it, it just, you know, fans are quite upset with how your playing time was handled. And you mentioned, you know, if you want to come see me on the ice, you're going to have to come in warm ups because I'm not, I'm not playing. And, you know, the free Frankie campaign started, uh, what was kind of going on through your head at the time as a young 22, 23 year old, just trying to make it in the league yet you're only being given, you know, a couple of games here and there, and you don't really have a chance to get your feet wet and really get rolling. Yeah. I think it was tough because at that age you want to, 
Like you want to keep playing and you want to keep progressing. And I think I had in the back of my head, um, you know, the situation in Vancouver where, um, you know, some, some other players kind of jumped ahead of me. Um, and I, I didn't want that to happen in Toronto. I wanted to control my own fate, my own destiny. And I want to, you know, to be in the driver's seat as much as I could. And um, it's always tough when, when you don't have the opportunity to. Um, and so your fate is kind of in the hands of whoever's calling the shots, basically. Um, and so that obviously was the frustrating part for me. I just wanted to get out there. I wanted to prove my worth and I wanted to progress my career. And, um, you know, at that age to not be playing, obviously, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely detrimental to your development as a player. I wouldn't recommend it. It was great because, you know, you're getting the NHL paycheck and you're flying on the, the, the plane and, you know, uh, staying at the nice hotels and that stuff was all amazing. I, I have, you know, nothing bad to say about that. I just think career wise, um, you know, that's, that's a point in your career where you want to be playing and learning and, uh, building confidence. Um, and that was, that was the big thing I struggled with, especially the first year, you know, where I got to play 41 games is just, you know, some games I felt confident, some games I didn't, um, you know, it, it was, it was, like you said, it was a roller coaster in, in, in more ways than one. And, um, if, you know, if, if I think at, if I was going through that at this age, if I worked my way up and I got to that point and, and, and I went through it at this age, I think I would be more equipped mentally to handle it. Right. Um, you know, just, just being older and, and having played, you know, I, I just wanted to play so bad. I only, I was only pro for two years at that point. You know, I, I think I just, I just keep, I just wanted to keep playing. And, um, you know, at this point, you know, I'm going into my eighth year pro. So, you know, if, if you work your way up and get there after eight years of playing, it's, it's obviously rewarding. Not that it wasn't, but um, I just wanted to keep, keep going and keep progressing my career. And um, it felt like a little bit, you know, kind of like what we talked about with, with this COVID now, it felt like a, a, a stalling point. Um, and I, I didn't want that. And that was the frustrating part, but it was always nice to see that there was fan support. Um, and not that I didn't understand it, but it always made me feel, uh, you know, kind of validated in a time right. where I maybe didn't get the, um, the traditional validation, you know, that, that I would normally get from, from playing and building confidence and, and achieving things on the ice. Um, so it was, you know, I, I felt the support for sure. And um, if it was sarcastic or if it was ill-intended, you know, I don't really care. I saw it as, as fans supporting me. So that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, man, I think that's exactly what it was. Like there was, there was a, a great hockey prospect there. People saw it, people knew it, and they wanted to see for themselves what, like how come Babcock wasn't playing you. And I, I think that's what frustrated people the most. It's like this is literally the player that you guys want and need in the organization, and you're not giving him an opportunity. <laughs> like that's that's what I was saying back then, and me and a bunch of other other fans uh, of the game. Um, did like at what at some point did did maybe the the relationship with Babcock get fractured and where it just totally soured your your uh your entire playing experience? I I remember um that first year going into my exit meeting not knowing what I was gonna what I was gonna hear because I had some good games I had some bad games I had some games where I played a decent amount of ice time and I had some games where I might as well have taken my skates off. And I wasn't sure. And then by all accounts in that exit meeting, the, the message to me was, you know, good job. Um, have a great summer, come into camp and try and make the team. 
And I took that seriously. And I had a, I had a great summer, uh, a new trainer, uh, Peter Renzetti. Um, and he really pushed me. Uh, that was a massive summer for me. And I came back into camp that year. I was 200 pounds, uh, I was a little heavier than I've ever played at. And, um, I just remember just like, like I said about the, the two week tournament there, I just wanted to get out of the gate really fast. And the first exhibition game, I had a goal. I had a really good game in, uh, in Buffalo where I picked up a few assists. Um, and after the game in Buffalo, I ran into Babs in the hallway and he said, Hey, you had a good game last night. I said, thank you. Like I'm, I'm coming to make the team this year. Like, um, you know, I kind of said that to him in the hallway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, Love it. you know, sure enough, after camp camp broke, I was, I was still on the roster. So I thought, you know what, like, I think I, I don't know. I think I showed something, you know, I think maybe I showed something here. And, and, um, I got into a game early in the season in November in Pittsburgh and I was pumped. I was like, okay, this is a month and a half earlier than I got into a game the previous season. I go like, like, this is great. Like this is progress, right? Like, uh, I'm, I, I think maybe they're seeing it or maybe he's seeing it. Um, and then from there, I didn't play again until February. And that was that stretch from that, that game in Pittsburgh to, to basically February when I got in a game against the Rangers and it was a complete nightmare. Um, I had two penalties. We got scored on early in the game. Like it couldn't have gone worse for me. And then, you know, yeah. the next thing you know, I'm on waivers. But um, I think like, like I said, like I, that summer, I, I wanted to, to prove a point that I, that I belonged. And I thought I did that in camp. And even that first game I played in Pittsburgh, I thought it was a good game and, and deserving of, okay, like if you don't want to put me in the next game, at least maybe there's something that you saw in that game that you can try and get me in every once in a while. Um, but that, yeah, that never, that never happened. And, um, there was another, you know, stall in my progression there. And that was, that was probably the biggest one. That was probably the biggest one. And, um, I, it was hard for me to recover from that. And, um, you know, in a league with the best players in the world and everyone's playing every night and getting better and building confidence on the ice, it's tough. It's, it's tough to, to maintain your, your, your sense of confidence and, uh, feel like you belong. And, um, obviously, you know, you always got to try your best and, and try and, you know, you try and do what you can every day, do what's in your control. But, um, that was, you know, that was kind of like the, a stalled progression. And then that was the biggest one. Yeah. I mean, luckily it, it didn't get to a point where you decide to pack up your bag and kind of quit playing the game. Cause you know, there are some players who they, when they just can't get in and, and they can't break into the show, they just decide, you know, at some point, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. And, obviously you didn't and you're still going and still playing and still have the, you know, that, that dream alive. Um, but you, you, you kind of also have a pretty unique perspective in the matter that you played for, for both of the, the, the Leafs coaches. So like when we talk about the current Leafs and the way that things kind of shook out this season, you know, you played for both Babcock and you played for Keith. So you can kind of speak firsthand on the differences between the two coaches, whether it's on ice or off ice style. Um, you know, what, what, what are some big differences and some big contrasts that you yourself realize between the two? I mean, there's, there's going to be a few. And I thought when, um, when Sheldon got promoted, um, I, I thought that everything kind of, everyone's going in the same direction now. Everyone's pu pulling in the same direction. I think it's a top to bottom 
collaborative effort at this point. And the thing about Sheldon is um, he's, he's, he's a good tactician, obviously. Um, he's, he's good at communicating with his players. And it's not, it's, it's collaborative. He wants you to be interested in the game and he wants you to come to him with ideas of what we think we can do uh, better. Or in this situation, um, I'll give you like a quick example of, of Sheldon's attention to detail. And, you know, the year that I came off my ACL surgery, I, I, I was lucky enough uh, to sign with the Marlies again. Um, and I was doing this weird thing when I, when I was shooting the puck where my toe wasn't really following through to the net. It was kind of facing sideways. And he pulled clips of me doing it in games. And then he pulled clips of NHL players, um, you know, good puck moving defensemen not doing it. And he showed me the differences. And then he set up, he goes, okay, go on with, with um, Pelly, Scott Peller, and go on with him half an hour before practice today. You guys are going to work on this. And I just think that, like, I was 26 or 27 years old. Uh, obviously, wasn't, um, uh, you know, the team's top prospect or, you know, the, the team's top vested interest at that point in the organization. But here's this coach who still um, found the time and, and the care to cut the clip of me, cut the clip of the NHL or the NHL players and set up ice with the player development staff to get me on the ice and, and working on it. And I just think that it's just a, a good example of how much Sheldon cares about um, how much he cares about his players and how much he cares about his team being successful. And, um, you know, I, I could, I could go on, but I, I really do have a lot of time for Sheldon as a coach. And, um, I, I, I really hope that uh, we can see it. Um, you know, we can see the vision come to light because I know that there is a clear vision within that organization. And I think the fans deserve to see it. Um, and I'm, you know, as, as a hockey fan, I'm excited, you know, when, when I see the Leafs doing well, because um, this obviously this market is, is you know, is, is starved for, you know, for, for some winning and uh, a contending team. So um, I'm excited that Sheldon is now the coach and, um, I think, you know, from, from everything I've seen with him as, as a player, I, I think he's the right guy for the job. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what happens. That's good to hear. And I guarantee you the listeners are going to love to hear that too, because, you know, the way that things kind of went down towards the end and, you know, people kind of speaking out and, and, you know, just of the way that Babcock was treating people, you know, internally, then that story came out about Marner and how, in his rookie season, he, you know, got them to, to rank from, from hardest working to, to, to uh, least hardest working. And, you know, just kind of all that bully culture kind of got started up kind of early on in the season. And then to hear that the Leafs totally, you know, they moved on from Babcock. The team wasn't doing well, but then replaced him with a, what seems to be a much better person um, and, and somebody who not only fits the room, but also fits what, the team is building on the ice. And I think that was the biggest thing, you know, there, there's clear contrast between the way that they act those two, but also on the ice. I think there was a disconnect with Dubis and Babcock of how the team wanted to play and the structure and the system. And it was just a matter of time before Keith ended up being elevated up to the show. And now that he's here, I do believe just like you're saying, that the Leafs do have a bright future. Like, they have the players, and now they have the coach and they have the systems. It's going to take some time a little bit to kind of mirror all that together and marinate it before they can finally make that push. But 
I do, I do think the Leafs are, are in a great position to be a successful team for quite some time. I do too. And one thing that's, that's cool about the Leafs and philosophically, it's, it's one thing you learn very early on in your tenure when you get there as a Leaf. No one's bigger than the Maple Leafs. Um, you know, all the players that came before you, they put all their blood, sweat, and tears into this organization. And it, it's true because if, if you look at so many organizations, there's a lot of times there's just one player that sticks out in your mind as this is the face and this is the guy from the past or, or, or whatever it may be. It doesn't even have to be present day. But um, with the Leafs, there's just there's so much history, so much tradition, and they want to be an organization that um, is just it's the leaf is bigger than, than everyone else. And, uh, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. It's unique. It, it provides, um, you know, a very team like mentality. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it, it plays into that, that tradition that, um, you know, we're all in this together and, and, and I, I really, I agree. I, I hope, you know, I hope we get to see it and, um, see them all grow together and, and turn into, you know, a, a perennial contending team. Uh, in conversation with, uh, Frankie Corrado, uh, that, you know, that was a great conversation. And I honestly love that we finished it on such a high note, considering this is a Leafs, you know, podcast, <laughs> you know, saying the Leafs are going to win. The Leafs are going to win. That's great. Uh, before we finish though, I want to play kind of, kind of a fun game. I call it the fast five questions where I got five answers, kind of like a lightning round. Um, you want to play along with me? Absolutely. All right, so we're going to go, and you're just going to give me a quick, uh, quick, quick answer for him. All right, number one, favorite player growing up? Matt Sundin. A teammate who you'll be lifelong friends with? Josh Levo. Best Italian restaurant in Toronto? It doesn't matter. That's at Nona's house. There's no, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, then I'm going to come to your Nona's house because I want some of that pasta. Let me tell you that. Uh, <laughs> go to bar after the win. Uh, well, when I was playing in Toronto, it was uh, Citizen was a good place to go after a win. All right, Citizen. Uh, last question. What was your holy shit moment? You know, you're welcome to the NHL moment. I want a positive one and then I want a negative one. Yeah, I think the first one was uh, my NHL debut, seeing um, Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves on the ice across from me. Um, so that was definitely a positive one. A negative one was probably going dash three against the San Jose Sharks um, <laughs> shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> like, was there a player where you just, like, you realize, okay, this is the NHL. Like, when they just came in, bull rushed you, like, against Jumbo, where he just came in on the four check and just sent you on your ass. It was it was Rafi Torres. Like oh, there's a picture sure. online. If you Google that picture of me and Rafi Torres, my body's in a pretzel. Oh, I do on its way down that. to the ice. I do remember that happening actually. I thought I was going to catch him. Like I'm used to junior, right? Where like uh, you know I'm just oh I'm going to catch this guy. I'm going to nail him. And he saw me coming from 18 miles away, <laughs> and he dropped his 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 shoulder or his elbow or something that resembled some kind of like cinder block. Uh, texture right into my chest and I, I drop very fast. Rafi can lay a hit too. If that's one thing that he's known for in his career, it's laying the boom. So that's, yeah. that's quite he, the moment. He laid the boob and a half on me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, Frank, uh, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It was, uh, it was so much fun chatting today. I hope you had a good time too. Give him a follow on Twitter at Frank Corrado 22. Uh, thanks for chatting with me today. Awesome. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for us here today on the podcast. Once again, you can find him on the ice next season in Sweden. Good luck, buddy. You can give him a follow as well on Twitter at FrankCarado22. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to Locked On These Podcasts on all podcasting platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And if you want more NHL hockey talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast. I'll be back with another show later this week. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.